Hey, aloha, everybody. This is Jeff Reinbold. This is the Jeff Reinbold Show, and we are, as always, paired with my buddy Michael McQuaid from the beautiful country of Ireland in the North Atlantic. And we are brought to you by 888 Sport, the official gambling partner of the National Football League in the UK and Ireland. And Michael, what a weekend of football. Jeff, I have to say, first off, Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. And to you. Good, good to see you as always. Well, for people on the podcast, good to hear you as always. And it's funny because sometimes when you put the the gimmick almost of Christmas around certain games, you think, oh, whatever. Like holiday classic, Patriots Broncos, that'll not be close. How wrong I was <laughs> saying at 10 to 5 in the morning. And then the games on Christmas Day were great as well. And obviously we had that game um, late on Monday night, late on Christmas night between the Niners and, and the Ravens. And never mind the fact, Jeff, I'm, I'm, you've been working the last three nights before this. Sunday in its own right was superb as well. Just a great weekend, you know, squeaky bum time, as a famous football manager once, once said, two regular season weeks left. And uh, we're getting there. What, what was your main takeaway from the weekend? Well, I think obviously, like everybody else, the fact that the Ravens were able to go to San Francisco and in the second half, you know, make the plays that they did to dominate the game. You know, the score, it was probably closer than the score indicated, but, you know, you get four interceptions, their defense is for real. And the thing that I had said two weeks ago was that the Ravens, when they beat the Rams, they can win games a lot of different ways. They can win them grimy. They can win them throwing it all over the yard. They can win it with their defense. They can run the football. And, you know, Lamar Jackson, his numbers weren't fantastic, but his play was fantastic. And that's where you got to be able to separate the statistics from the performance. And, you know, Purdy throwing four interceptions just absolutely killed any chance that the 49ers had to, you know, win that game in the second half. And, you know, it's just an indication of why I think and have said for two weeks that the Ravens are the best team in the AFC. Yeah, it's, it's funny because we're, we're, we're having a more chilled week this week in the sense of it's it's audio-only podcasts. We're taking a little bit of breathing time before the last two weeks of the season and the playoffs. But it's funny, Jeff, because Christmas was on Monday in the States, ESPN, Pat McAfee, everybody's back on TV the day after. Like, Good Morning Football was live from their living rooms on Christmas Day. I think that's too far. That, that's crazy. A whole different conversation. But... um. One of the main talking points on Tuesday morning was in the States was, can you believe Lamar Jackson was available to pick up for free? And I'm like, that's such a lazy talking point because you would have had to have got a trade offer with the Ravens accepted. You would have had to help Lamar, who wasn't being represented by anybody. And you would also have persuaded the Ravens to actually let him go in the first place. Yeah, that's like, a, you're right, Mike. That's a lazy narrative because pick up for free? No. No, 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 that's not true. And, you know, that's just, you know, indication every once in a while, the media, you know, shows you just how little they really understand how this whole process works. <laughs> there was no way he was getting out of Baltimore without somebody giving Baltimore a King's ransom. They were, obviously they were never going to just let him walk and, you know, he did his own negotiation and, you know, it was different. 
and you know, but he got what he wanted, and I think the Ravens got what they wanted, and you know, he got paid. The Ravens got the quarterback that they're going to pin their hopes on for the foreseeable future, and they expanded the offense. He got OBJ in there. I mean, this is a win-win all the way around. Every everywhere you look with the Ravens. So again, that's a that's just stirred up journalism and lazy narrative. Lazy narrative. I can't wait till we have our own lazy narrative in about six weeks' time in Starbucks <laughs> in Mandalay Bay, making up stories on the spot. I love it. Um couple of things for me. I mean, like you talk about Lamar. He obviously had a more efficient and busy second half of the game than the first half. There's a lot of talk of well, those plays, a lot of those plays wouldn't have happened if if Brock Purdy or the defense didn't get the ball back. And as I talk, my own football team is awful. I'm presuming, Jeff, you're watching Leeds earlier on as well, different conversation. Um, but Lamar Jackson turned it on in the second half, but there were two or three plays. The sidearm pass, the run in the first half. Sometimes you look at the stats and think, well, there wasn't too much going on there, but the efficiency and the next level of his plays were superb. There's that, Jeff, but also for me, it's it's almost like the lack of respect that that team had going in the San Fran, and albeit, seeing the stat or the graphic that came up during the game, every one of San Fran's offenses leading the league in their position, which is ridiculous. Do you think there was a lack of respect there for just going into the game? No, for I, I will say this. <clears throat> Certainly from the standpoint of what goes on in the locker room, in the meeting room, all of that stuff, there was no lack of respect. Certainly the, you know, the 49er coaches, the 49er players, they're savvy enough. They're smart enough to watch the tape and, you know, watch what Lamar can do and, you know, what OBJ has started to do and what, you know, Flowers can do. And, yeah, I mean, that, that that's a good football team. I mean, they know that. They knew that coming in. That was a good football team. Now, where this thing can help the 49ers is it exposed some of their deficiencies, if you will. There's no perfect team, right? This is the same, you know, Raven team that, Matt Stafford and, you know, he really has, what, a running back and two receivers in his repertoire, and they were right down to the end to win their game. They get a walk-off punt return against them, or they have a chance to win that football game. So, you know, the Ravens aren't foolproof. There's nobody out there that's a lock to, you know, walk out of Vegas as Super Bowl champions, and there's a lot of football left to be played. You know, how about – the Dolphins and the Cowboys. What a what a incredible game that was. And did that wipe off some of the lazy narrative on Tua Tonga Vailoa? Maybe, right? Did that add more, you know, to the lazy narrative that the Cowboys can't win on the road or that they don't, you know, they can't play outdoors or any of those other things? They're not as good as they are indoors. I get that. I mean, you can statistically, you can analyze it all you want, but they're starting a left tackle. Who's a, you know, are playing a left tackle, excuse me, who's a backup and late in the game when they're knocking on the door, I think they were on the one yard line. If I remember correctly, Fangio dials up a nickel blitz and the tackle just completely screws up his assignment. And Chubb goes in untouched, and now all of a sudden, instead of, you know, second and goal from the one, it's second and goal from the seven, and they're able to hold them out of the end zone and, you know, keep it to where Miami can go down and kick a field goal to win the thing. I mean, and then 
one more time in that drive that Miami has, there's a 15 yard face masking penalty and the Cowboys are what the most penalized team in the national football league. And, you know, when you make assignment errors and you, you know, give up penalty yards, you can get beat against good football teams as a lesson in that. Now, if they learn it good, if they don't learn it, you know, they'll be out of the playoffs before Vegas will be in Vegas before they are in Vegas. If they don't learn it. I mean, it'll, it'll be a situation where the, the whole team will be there or two or three guys will be marketing donuts beside us, hopefully uh, on the same floor. Just before we talk, or just before I mention just my thoughts on that game, um, Lamar Jackson's 19-1 against the NFC as a starter. The only team that's defeated him is Daniel Jones. So a bit of positive Giants talk there for a split second. We'll, we'll, we'll come back to that in a bit. Yeah, look, that Dallas-Miami game, Jason Sanders had a hell of a day. And like it's it, it was never, while it wasn't a very, very long field goal at the end, that was never a given with the amount of Cowboys fans, the pressure in that stadium. So they even to hit that winning field goal was still great to see for him. But Jeff, for me, it was the two or three minute break where you guys are in the studio. Everything's going on at Hard Rock Stadium and the Cowboys are up by one or two points or whatever it was. And for me, it was, right, can Tua and the Dolphins make this drive? Can they do it? Can they, can they forgo all the doubters, all the talk? And it's unreal how easy they made that look. Like, they weren't that great on, on, on the run on that day collectively with all the guys on the running game in Miami, and they made that final drive look so well. Like, I, I watched it back two or three times. It was a joy to watch, but I guess the biggest question now goes, for Dallas, obviously the big one is, how do they see out the season? They have a big game coming up Saturday night. And then, obviously, Miami play Baltimore this week as well, which we'll talk about in our Week 17 thing. But... There's just so, like you've said, it, there's so much more football left, but there's so many more questions. A great day for Tyreek Hill, but also Smythe on the receiving. Um, and Tua has took it to the next level for sure on a game like that. Yeah, I think that was really, a, I thought he was really, really sharp. There were two throws that I'm, I think he would like to have back. He missed a, he missed an open receiver uh, down close in the end zone one time. Then another time they had a free rusher off the edge and he, missed time to throw to Tyree kill on a slant route. That would have been a big, big play. But other than that, his decision-making was, I thought really good is the ball was out of his hand quickly. You can really see how comfortably he is in the offense and knowing where everybody's going to be um, for the Cowboys. It's a, it's a little bit of the same old, same old, right? I mean, Yes, they didn't give up 250 whatever yards like they did against Buffalo the week before. But when Miami needed to run the ball and had to run the ball and wanted to run the ball, they ran the ball. And it's the same place where the ball hit again. It's now, you know, they got to get John. The Cowboys have got to get Jonathan Hankins back, their big space eater nose tackle, because Mozzie Smith is just not getting it done for him inside they're getting he's getting knocked over two gaps he's getting knocked up to the linebackers um you know their pass rush i thought des lawrence played an outstanding game and uh you know parsons was parsons um you know that those the miami receivers they can get after you know cowboys have got some some good defensive backs but i'll tell you what those those 
Miami receivers. If you know Waddle's got to get himself healthy again, but those two guys in particular, and you talk about Durham Smythe about how well he played in that game. He was third option, but made an awful lot of plays, which you got to have in those kind of games because you're going to get doubled. You know, at wherever the cheat is, you're going to get two two defenders on him. So somebody's going to have to win in those one on one matchups. And Waddle and Smythe were able to do that enough. Miami Miami won the game. We're going to do another segment, folks, um, about 10 or 15 minutes long after this final part here. And Jeff, just, just quickly to talk on it. It's funny. Um, I felt like I was working with you on Sky for a few nights. Uh, we had the games on Saturday night. Um, it was the Bills against the Chargers. Actually quite an enjoyable game. More enjoyable than I thought I watched to actually watch it. Uh, and then we had the game, the Broncos-Patriots, late on Sunday night slash Monday morning. And then obviously Monday night, so I'm very much... I'm done with the late nights for a bit. I... Uh, yeah, I don't know. But that Broncos-Patriots game took me by surprise because so many people wrote the Patriots off, but the way that they transformed the opinion of people, especially on the defensive side of the ball, like Russell Wilson for the Broncos had a really, really poor first half. But genuinely, like even when the Broncos started to come back towards the end, I was like, do they deserve to win this game upon how they've played? You know, and it obviously didn't happen, but... I was just surprised that on a night where the crowd was so into it at Mile High, where a team that's seven and seven or whatever, really for the first time in seven years, playoff wise, they couldn't turn the page. I was so surprised at how poor the Broncos truly were, and I've seen a lot of people in Colorado blame Sean Payton and not Russell Wilson. I'd, I'd be eager to hear your thoughts, because um, I know you sat up to five o'clock watching every play, Jeff. After hard night's work, the you know Sean Sean Payton never threw a ball. In the game, not one. I looked at the stat sheet again today. Doesn't have Sean Payton in the stat sheet, right? Has Russell Wilson in the stat sheet, right? There's that's the game. That's that's the reality, right? So don't hide behind the coach. The you know they've got a huge decision on their on their hands in this off season. What are you going to do with him? Because I think what we've seen this year is they've gotten about as much out of him as he's got in him right now. He's whatever he is, 30-some years old. He's been hit a ton. He's been sacked more than any other quarterback in the league in, in the period of time he's been in the league. So he's beat up, and he was never a big guy to start with. Now, as he gets older and starts to lose a little bit of his evasiveness and some of those things that made him a player, it gets going to get tougher and tougher now. Will they keep him for another year? I mean, that's their decision. They're going to have to look at where they're going to draft and who's available and all the, all those other things. So there's a lot going into this whole deal. I, I think, too, that the, you got to understand, we are so quick to judge, right? And you look at what Belichick did against Russell Wilson, and then you go back another week and look what he did to Patrick Mahomes. I mean, they were in the fourth quarter – with a chance to win that football game, and they're playing freaking Bailey Zappi at quarterback against Pat Mahomes, right? And, you know, again, everybody wants to dismiss Belichick, and he's not, can't do this, and he can't. I'm telling you, he played, quote, the best quarterback in football, and he's got a chance to win the game in the fourth quarter. Then he comes back against a guy. He's no; they have no playoff aspirations whatsoever in New England. 
and he's playing a guy that shouldn't be playing in the National Football League in Bailey Zappi. And they're going against Russell Wilson, right? Sean Payton and a Broncos team that has played well in the last half of the season. And they win, right? So it's just like I, I, I shake my head sometimes and I go, you know, don't don't think that guy all of a sudden got senile or got Alzheimer's or whatever and can't can't coach anymore. And then I watched it was really interesting watching the Eagles game last night, Mike. And I and I brought this. I really wish we had the telestrator because there was so much going on in that game that really needed to be brought to the audience's attention. And um, I think Daryl Johnson's a great color guy, right? But he he really missed, in my opinion, on the radical change in the Philadelphia defense this week. Last week, Matt Patricia gets the defensive coordinator job like on Tuesday or Wednesday, right? So he can't go in and change very much going into that first his first game. They go and get beat on a 92-yard drive, I think it was, with a minute left to play. And he can't pressure the quarterback. And they can't get pressure to the quarterback, right? So in the game, and I pointed this out on Sky, I watched the first quarter and I'm thinking to myself, whoa, all of a sudden I'm watching the New England defense. Not not with, you know, blue jerseys and red numbers on. This is the Philadelphia Eagles. And they're lined up in Belichick's defense, the 3-4 they got five D linemen on the field. They're, you know, all that stuff, right? And all of a sudden, right, they're transformed on defense because their defense played really well, I think. And, you know, they gave up the one play where the safety didn't have enough depth in cover two and got beat on a long throw by Tyrod Taylor. But other than that, they didn't give up anything, right? I mean, they fumble a freaking kickoff or two freaking guys – run into each other and then and then Jalen Hurts throws an interception for a touchdown. You know, think about that. They what they give up on defense? 10 points. So the game's not even close. But nobody talks about it. Like nobody does anybody watch the game? Right? Does anybody I, know, I have to say and I I did not see that once what you've just said. And I I agree with what you said. It's it's really it's a really important point. I haven't seen that on my socials on any account. Nobody. And that's what I'm saying. I'm like nobody. in. I mean, I haven't spent my day on Twitter. I've been spending my day with my wife, but like, I don't see guys saying, okay, why, why is all of a sudden Hassan Reddick is dropping into coverage. All of a sudden you look out there and, you know, Carter's playing more plays than he's played. Why? Because they're, they went, they put their best players on the field and they got more aggressive and they diversified what they were doing under Sean Desai, they they rushed four guys and played man coverage. That was all they did. That was it, right? Now, if you go in the if you go in to play the Eagles, and you're a quarterback, you're going to have to get ready for an awful lot of stuff because Patricia learned his football from the master. And you're, you know, does that mean they're going to be Super Bowl champs? Nope, but it it is a certainly a change in Philadelphia. Eagles, we've got the Cardinals and. Um and the Giants to end the regular season. And that'll be interesting to see, especially how that evolves down the stretch, Jeff. You're bang on. And you mentioned your wife. Shout out to both our wives for letting us do this. 
on the Christmas season. We're going to do a different segment here, so I'll say aloha and we'll talk a little more football. And uh, appreciate you folks listening to us while this festive week was on. Say aloha, Jeff, and we'll get out of here. Aloha. <laughs> <laughs>